So first introduce yourself. What's your name? So, hi, my name's Malati, and my painting name is Paradise, and basically what it is, it's a picture of Gaia. Of Gaia? What does Gaia look like? Can I see? Gaia looks like this. Gaia looks kind of like a frog with beautiful hands. Is that right? Yes. Now, how did you decide that? Have you seen Gaia before? No, but it came into my brain. <laughs> so you have a wild imagination, I suspect, right? Yes. Well, tell me what else. What else is Gaia doing? It looks like there's a big ocean and a sun or something. Well, basically, she's meditating at sunset. Who is Gaia? A lot of people may not know that. Gaia is a protector of Mother Earth, or some people would say Mother Earth itself. Ah, so it's just a different way of looking at it. Is it is it Hindu or is it some mythology? I mean, where does Gaia, the name Gaia, come from? I don't even know. Well, I don't exactly know either, so don't ask me. <laughs>
what's your idea? What do you want to do? T- talk about a capstone moment for you. After 11 years, here you are about to go back to another school in the U.S., in Hawaii, of all wonderful places. Uh, but what are some of your thoughts and reflections uh, looking back at your 11 years and thinking about what the Green School has offered you and how it's influenced your thinking about education? Wow. So the Green School, you know, I, I believe it's offered me about 25 years worth of experience condensed into 11 you know, Is I it just because of the pace of things? It's a bit because of the pace of things and a bit because it's such a, a creation out of nowhere, more or less. So all the aspects of creating a school, creating a community, I've got to get my fingers in all of it, right? So I, when I first came to Green School in 2008, before we opened, I came in to co-teach in the grade one and two classroom. And uh, I had done a fair amount of teaching, um, but not a ton of it. And so it was a real learning experience for me just to be, have my own grade one, two classroom for a year. But it's funny, when I first came here and I I found the the school, you know, opening in 2008, a school without walls, connecting students to nature and connecting students to their communities and bringing the community into the school and all of it was speaking to me. I'm like, yes, that's what I want to do. And I remember, you know, putting in my application, going through the interviews and, you know, getting the job and then being on the website frustrated going I want to see more pictures I want to see these classrooms without walls I want to see what the campus looks like you know and I wanted to come here and give feedback like you guys got to put more of this on the website but then I get here and I was like oh oh I see it wasn't built yet it was still just a big concept I think one classroom you could call finished but the rest no just construction spots the heart of school which is our beacon giant bamboo cathedral was cleared the ground that was it nothing else had been started right we've transformed the the rural community that was around us right uh you know right along the street outside our school now there's a turkish restaurant a korean restaurant a (laughs) coffee shop and to think about the first year now that that's all here it's it's laughable right because it was just a rice field um yeah it's laughable what we've done and it's funny my wife and i were looking at uh the yearbook from grade our first year and the second year last night and And we were just like, oh, my God, we've come such a long way because we opened with 85 students. And like I say, one finished classrooms and three more that we are still finishing. And uh, and now we're 520 students, uh, so many new classrooms all over the campus, double decker, beautiful. But going back to what does it look like? It's in a tropical forest. There's gardens all over the campus. The buildings are these bamboo huts but bamboo huts built by a jewelry designer and his team of designers so they're beautiful the heart of school i mentioned earlier is a triple helix design that is just awe-inspiring to look at so you're surrounded on this campus by beauty be it natural or be it just these beautifully designed classrooms all the time and you always feel like you're outside the classrooms feel more like a, a shade structure a beautiful one but but you're still outside. You're still feeling the breeze, the temperature. Why, why is design important to the aspects and, uh, and curriculum? That's a good question, and I don't know that I have a perfect answer, but I've come to believe that the beauty of the buildings is a really important aspect here. It's just constant reminder of the power of creativity and just a constant reminder of, you know, beautiful aesthetics do something to you. They make you feel a lot better. They make you feel more comfortable. If we were sitting in a concrete block, you know, and there was nothing but traffic outside, it's a little stifling. When I go visit schools now, either with, you know, coach a sport team or visit just a normal school, like a public school in the U.S. that I grew up in, it's it's almost depressing to me, right? It, it's just something about being in these beautiful buildings that that notches up your creative spirit and, and really makes you appreciate more. 
How does it affect the way students learn? I mean, in this era of uh, uh, attention deficit disorder, is it distracting to have uh, chickens run through the classroom or butterflies appear and, you know, birds kind of sweeping through as and when they see fit? Indeed, it certainly is, and it affects different students differently. And its truth is, it's not for everybody, and some students do really struggle with it. And it almost always takes an adjustment, but after a while, that gets really normal. And it's funny you say about the chicken. I was giving an interview one time that was actually on TV. It was live, and uh, they asked about distractions. And while they asked about it, a rooster walked right through and gave a big caw. And so we had a great laugh, and like, yeah, these exist. So, So it's a challenge, but at the same time, it's real life, right? Like life is all about distractions and, and learning to find your focus among the chaos and keep things moving along. So I, I figure that aspect of it helps in some respects. What, what are parents and students that come to the Green School looking for? Why do they travel all across the world from all locations to come here? That's a it varies a little, but I think the underlying threads are a great many of them are are really fed up with the inaction in sustainable solutions in the world, are really fed up with the inaction toward climate change, um, are really fed up with schools that are just building anxiety in students by force-feeding content down their throat and giving them these high-pressure exams. They're really starting to see that, like, look, all you're doing there is focusing on one little aspect of intelligence, that, that intellectual, right? But, but the emotional intelligence, the kinesthetic intelligence, the artistic creative intelligence, these are all really vital stuff to being a whole human being. And so I think they're fed up with with the world not addressing sustainability issues. They're fed up with schools not honoring the true unique child that every child is, every human is. And, and they're looking for something different. And they're looking for something that's going to engage their kid and make them want to come to school. Glenn, Glenn, are these ideas exportable? Are they things that are uniquely uh, only only possible because we are in a place called Bali where it's tempered all year round and you can be in nature and um, you have all these kind of access to artists and artisans and creative ideas and design, uh, sustainable notions, is, or is it something that uh, others will just have to dabble with? You know, I think it can be uh, transferred. You know, obviously different climates can have these open classrooms, but I think for me, the key is like these open classrooms are a wonderful benefit of living in a tropical climate and it's beautiful. But if we lived in a temperate climate where we had really cold winters and we had to have walls and we had to heat it, I think that's all fine. And I think the key to what we're really doing here that really makes it magical and that the students light up to is we're making the learning real as much as possible. We're slowing it down. We're not saying you have to remember this, 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 and there's going to be a test. We're like showing them the world and we're saying, hey, look at this amazing complex world we live in. And basically getting them to understand how how issues of sustainability are issues of complex systems, right? We're looking at the world through complex systems, right? Be they our own personal health, be they our relationships with others, our relationships with nature, economic issues, political systems in turmoil. These are all complex systems that have gone on an unsustainable path. And what we're looking to do here is to find a way to help you find your true authentic self. And then importantly from there, find a leverage point. Okay, you're really into personal health, you know, What can you do to help not only yourself, but everyone else turn up their personal health? How can you engage and, and then understand all those connections and how they affect each other?
This is Steve Stein, and you're listening to my conversation with Green School Head of Faculty, Glenn Schickring. When we come back, a discussion on systems thinking and experimenting with learning. Inside Asia is supported in part by Black Marketing, the world's most recommended LinkedIn marketing agency, created and led by the world's most recommended LinkedIn marketing masterclass instructor, entrepreneur, and best-selling author, Chris J. Reed. Black Marketing is an award-winning, independent, boutique, B2B marketing consultancy that specializes in enabling you to achieve your business objectives through LinkedIn. Learn more at www.blackmarketing.com. This is Steve Stein. I'm speaking with Green School's Glenn Chickering. Let's get back to our conversation. So you're not talking about sustainability specifically as it relates to environment or climate change. You're talking about big S sustainability, sustainability in all aspects in terms of our, our, our economic systems, our political systems, our social engagement, all of these things. And you're suggesting that through the curriculum here and the way that uh, kids are informed, you're able to kind of parlay some of these ideas into actual action? Exactly what I'm saying. And that's something that's often... Uh, misconstrued about green school, right? And rightly so. You know, we're built out of bamboo and John Hardy is an eco-warrior and and everyone thinks that we're a bunch of environmentalists here and, and we are in lots of respects. But we're also honoring that some some children growing up here, it, it might not speak to them to join Greenpeace, right? But it may speak to them to fight for women's rights or to fight for children in refugee camps to give them rights to an education or to really promote personal health. One of those might speak to them and all those are issues of sustainability. So yes, we're, we're taking that big picture look of sustainability and that's why I think you can take it anywhere because any community in the world can use that creative genius of their youth engaging with it, right? And any community in the world has artists you can tap into, has architects you can tap into, has auto mechanics you can tap into to get students working in real world community issues. So it sounds like you're breeding activists. Exactly. That, that's what we want to do. And, and it, you know, I would like to say, how would we say it? We're breeding people, engagers, engagers, right? Because right? so, activist has a bit of that kind of tone of taking things on, but that's, that is kind of what you're doing, isn't it? Indeed, I guess so. I mean, I like activism, but sometimes activism, for me anyway, this might be personal, gets a little bit of a tone of a, of a shaming, oh. a pointing out and shaming. And, and I personally think that, that shaming is, is not the way we're going to get anywhere. The way we're going to get places is to understand that, you know, we're all in this together, right? It, it's... It's working together that's going to make a difference. So engaging, I like to word better. Like, okay, get out there and engage. And if you need to wake some people up, do it. But but let's not shame. Let's just engage. In this era when uh, everyone's looking for academic excellence at all costs, the highest possible test scores, the best schools, the best teachers, in order to get into that, you know, that small number of Ivy Leagues or top schools in the world, how does a green school stack up? Aren't you playing a different game here? We are playing a different game, and we're still working uh, hard on on introducing what we're doing to schools around the world. But the the school, the world's waking up. Like we're getting there. We have a student in Cornell University now studying computer science, and it wouldn't take long on this campus or engaging with our curriculum to understand that we're not set up for people who want to go to an Ivy League school and study computer science. But, you know, we're really proud that we sure didn't get in his way of wanting to do that. We are still able to support him enough to where he could do it. Um, We have students in universities all over the world. And North America particularly is really, really 
interested in this type of education, really understanding its value, really seeing how students coming through this type of education are, are much better equipped in college, right? You know, Europe is is a little bit behind that. Europe is still a little stuck in their rigid systems that have worked for centuries. Um, Australia is still a little bit behind in that regard, too. But that being said, we have students in universities in, in many countries in Europe, in Japan, in Australia. So the tide is turning. People are realizing it. It's just uh, a big, slow-to-change institution. Uh, Glenn, as a teacher, an educator, an administrator, what are two or three things you're taking back to the U.S. with you from this decade of experience at the Green School and in Bali? So one of the things is that uh, systems thinking. We need to teach our students to be systems thinkers. and that, Explain that. So, so going back to the principles of sustainability, right, and, and taking that big picture view of, of nature, economy, society, personal well-being, we're looking, we're looking to get students to understand how to think in, in complex systems, how to understand how they interact with each other, how they influence each other, rely upon each other, engage with each other. Like, you know, how, you know, a great example you like we, I like to use is from a great TED talk from a guy whose last name I'm going to mess up, but Ted Wojciak or something, how to make toast, right? And so what he does is he takes- I missed that one. Oh, it's great. You yeah. got to see it. So what he does is he takes this simple thing like, okay, draw us on yellow sticky notes, a diagram, a step-by-step, how to make toast. No words, right? Just draw it out for us. And then people do it. And inevitably, they're all looking way different, right? And all these little things come out of it. And some students, some people, even adults, right? We'll just be like, uh, walk over to the fridge, pull a piece of bread out, put it in the toaster, put it on the plate, put butter on it, right? And that's your toast. But others will go all the way back to the sun providing energy, to the wheat, to the farmer cutting it out, to the transportation to get to the stores and all this. And so you can have these wonderful conversations about, look, you know, you're just going to the fridge and making a piece of toast and that's easy, but look at all the systems involved in this, right? Not only the solar system, right? But also the agricultural system, the transportation systems to get that to the factories, all the other ingredients that go into making bread, and then another transportation system to get it to retail stores, and then you have to go there, pay money for it, brings the economic system in it. Where did you get the money? Do you have a job? Do your parents? You bring it home and you plug in a toaster or you turn on a gas stove or something, but that takes energy. Where does it come from? And, and it gives you that way to just start making the connections of, okay, wait, everything we're really doing, especially as a consumer, does make a big difference and does have an effect. And uh, I feel like I've long-winded here, but, but to go back to your question, one of those things is, is to make the goal of education not so much to score high on a test, but so much to really understand how our societies are working and how to engage with them and affect meaningful change. So systematic thinking means understanding complexity and the interrelatedness between things. Is, is that about right? Yeah, that, that nails it. And yeah. it's always a tough definition to do, complex yeah. systems and whatnot, but, but that's, that's a great definition. I think that works well. And that kind of ties back to your earlier comment about you know, the way that um, you are challenging kids here through their Greenstone or Capstone projects to identify complex problems, break them down and figure out what can be done about it. Exactly. Mm. And so that you asked about a couple other aspects I would take back. And the other one for me that's huge is to make the learning as real world as possible. Right. You know, practical, um, practical. Right. So if you're teaching a social studies class about, you know, civics, like take them to City Hall and pull the kids and ask them what frustrates you the most about the community you live in. 
what could we do about it? Where's the leverage point? Okay, let's go do it and let's get out there and, and make it all as real as possible. Do you feel that's not being done in the U.S. school system today? In, not enough, mm. not enough. But there is a wave. There is, it is happening for sure. Are, are there good examples here at the Green School where you've applied that practicality to a theoretical idea? Sure. Kyle, our math teacher, who's now the head of high school, did was boomerang math, right? To look at the physics of boomerangs and why boomerangs work and measuring angles and all that and getting the kids to create boomerangs and then go out and throw them and see if they work. I don't, what does that do to the mind of a child? I mean, when they actually can see what happens? I mean, is there, is there kind of an epiphanous moment when they say, I now get it and therefore you can move on? Or do others actually work better in theory? That answer varies to student to student and, and topic to topic, but I would say for the most part, if you can answer to a student why they're learning this and show them and they engage in it in, in kinesthetic, intellectual, and artistic ways, then you get those aha moments and then they're going to do it because students get really bored if you can't tell them why it's important for them to learn this. So. So, so is a school like this then designed more for, for students with learning variations versus traditional or classic teaching styles? Yes, we are looking to what we call the big four for a long time. We've played with our curriculum and with our, you know, the naming of it for a while. But the big four would be intellectual learning, kinesthetic learning, artistic, creative, and, um, and then emotional, right? Almost like a spiritual, right? Which is always hard to define, which is one reason everyone doesn't push it. But it's like, what does this mean to me as an individual? Where's my inner landscape? How do I connect to myself, right? So, but I would, would I argue the traditional model you're talking about is just hyper-focused on intellectual, hyper-focused on it. So you get students who aren't as big or strong analytical thinkers, but who are kinesthetic geniuses or artistic geniuses don't get that opportunity to thrive, right? And so I would argue that all of us need all four of those pieces of education. Some of us are stronger than others. So I think that traditional education hyper-focuses on the intellectual. What, what do you think will be your biggest challenge going back to a U.S. school system? I mean, are, do you anticipate uh, pushback or resistance to this? Or as you were mentioning before, do you think there's a readiness or a willingness to embrace some of these new thinking and new approaches to education? There is a readiness and a willingness and the school I'm going to, I'm blessed and, and it's one of the reasons I'm going to it is because they're already thinking progressively. They have a big sustainability initiative. But I think one of my biggest challenges will be that I'm still going to bump up against teachers who have been teaching for 20 years and who are going to tell me, but this is the way we've always done it and we need to prepare them for the test. And my eighth graders need to have exactly these math skills and exactly these English skills to go into ninth grade. And, and I just don't believe that, right? I believe that we all learn on different paces and, and it's spurts and it's jumps and it's, you know, plateaus for a while. So I'm going to bump into a lot of traditionalists who are going to tell me that we don't have time to do that. We have to fit in all this content. And I'm going to have to try to convince them that we need to slow it all down. And we have plenty of time for that. We have their entire life for that. And... I, you know, Green School has been such a wonderful e experiment, for lack of a better word, but we've had a lot of freedom here, right? And sometimes too much, for sure, but we're finding our footing there. But anything we could dream up, we could pretty much try here. So I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to struggle when I have this wild idea. I'm like, okay, let's do this. And everyone's like, no, we can't do that. We don't know. I'd be like, but why? Well, why can't we at least try it? And then if it doesn't work, we'll scrap it. Like, so I think I'll struggle with that. <laughs>
Glenn, I've seen the Green School change in so many different ways through the years, uh, and it's uh, it been enriched in so many ways, but I think with your departure, it'll be a little bit of poor. But thank you for your service. Uh, thanks for the kind words, Steve. It's my pleasure. It's uh, It's been a wonderful journey, and I'm so grateful for all of it. It hasn't always been easy, but it's always been worth it. And yeah, I'll always be a part of this team in the bigger picture of things. And yeah, it's been a real blessing. Let, let's go back and see some of those green stones. Wonderful. Thanks, Steve. That was my conversation with educator and Green School head of faculty, Glenn Chickering. He's saying goodbye to Bali and heading back to the U.S. for his next adventure, but on his way out, he reminds us of a few key things. First, that sustainability is more than looking out for Mother Nature. Indeed, it's an entire way of thinking that brings to light the complexities of our world and attempts to break them down into addressable pieces. We need to teach our students to be systems thinkers, Glenn tells us, and that means equipping today's youth with something more than academic rigor. Equally important, says Glenn, are creativity, kinesthetics, and empathy. Without such sensibilities, everything looks like a lab experiment. And for real-world problems, operating in a vacuum is not an option. For our regular Inside Asia listeners, this discussion might take you back to a recent episode with Crystal Lim Lange, a self-described future readiness expert who decries the way our current education system sets goals at odds with future needs. It's time to shift the curriculum away from a learning style geared to a former industrial era and embrace a new pedagogy that places human creativity and problem-solving at the fore. This is no easy task. Institutions are institutions for a reason. They take years to build up and decades to tear down. Nevertheless, here we are, the proverbial fork in the road. Will the world choose to stay the course on a tried-and-true system, or will we break from tradition and strike out into new experimental areas where risk and, yes, even failure play an important, if not essential, role? How many times have we heard our entrepreneur celebrities say, fail fast, fail often? It's the mantra for a new high-tech, high-energy age. Yet apply this thinking to reform of our educational systems, and you can feel the collective wincing of a billion parents. What? Sacrifice our child's future on a few harebrained teaching ideas? Not a chance. I wonder what Melody at Green School would say. Does she feel like a guinea pig or the subject of a radical new experiment? I think not. I suspect she's simply pleased with herself and that magnificent painting of Gaia. Nobody told her what Mother Nature looks like. She imagined it. And in a time and place where our problems feel monumental and solutions in short supply, maybe, just maybe, a little imagination can go a long way. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Inside Asia. We want you to keep listening. If you haven't done so already, please do subscribe by visiting iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Search for Inside Asia, flick the subscribe button, and start downloading now. We have over 90 episodes on subjects of every kind, conversations with some of the sharpest and most well-informed insiders in Asia. Is there a topic we haven't covered? Send us a note or contact us at www.insideasiapodcast.com. As always, we thank you for listening. Until next time, this is Steve Stein saying, coming from the outside on Inside Asia. Inside Asia is supported in part by Black Marketing, the world's most recommended LinkedIn marketing agency, created and led by the world's most recommended LinkedIn marketing masterclass instructor, entrepreneur, and best-selling author, Chris J. Reed. Black Marketing is an award-winning, independent, boutique, B2B marketing consultancy that specializes in enabling you to achieve your business objectives through LinkedIn. Learn more at www.blackmarketing.com.